2 Thessalonians 3, 13 through 15. As for you, brothers, do not grow weary in doing good. If anyone does not obey what we say in this letter, take note of that person and have nothing to do with him, that he may be ashamed. Do not regard him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And the people, the applause are dying down. Jennifer <laughs> McClish is back on ODR. And uh, just in time to get a slice of Second Thessalonians before we close up shop. I know, so, I'm glad I man, jumped in here. Great timing, great yeah. timing. Yeah. Um, all right, so as a, a little reminder of where we are, uh, we are in Second Thessalonians, which believe it or not, is the second letter to the church in Thessalonica. Um, and, you know, as we've been listening along, uh, Paul is doing some heavy lifting, talking about, uh, you know, sort of the theme of eschatology, which is mm -hmm. the, the study of the end, mm -hmm. uh, the last things. So, you know, we, we've had some uh, high highs, like the man of lawlessness yeah. and uh, how that applies to us uh, driving around I-85 in Atlanta. And, you know, there, there's so much here. Uh, and now we're kind of in this specific section where Paul, he's kind of turning towards the daily life of the believers in this church. Mm -hmm. uh, and specifically, as we talked about yesterday, um, that some of these people who, you know, they, they are so like wrongly fixated on this idea of like the end times that they've kind of become idle um, in terms of productivity. Uh -huh. They are, they're not completely idle though. They're, they're great busybodies. <laughs> yeah. They're, they're all making up, themselves busy. Yeah. Not with the right yeah things. They're yeah. all up in the business of things that has nothing to do with them. And then uh, they're, they're avoiding uh, actual productive work. Mm. And so that's what Paul has, has rebuked yesterday. Um, and you know, there's that great, like pilgrim ethic verse. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. Yeah. Um, and so rolling off of that, now we're in 1315, and he kind of turns to the positive side. Do not grow weary in doing good, right. um, like the instructive side. And then there's this little church discipline note, mm -hmm. which, um, you know, sounds, it might sound abrasive to our ears at first, but is actually a great grace. So yeah, Jennifer McClish, yes. the people are saying, shut up, Will. <laughs> Let Jenny speak. So what are, what are your thoughts on today's passage? What are my thoughts? Um, well, this is, um, there's actually a lot more in here than at first glance. Oh, You're yeah. like, oh, wow, three verses. Thanks. Yeah. Um, uh, but no, this is really good. Um, we're actually been going through Genesis and the Women's Gospel Fellowship. And so like a lot of this um, idea of work um, and the theology of work from Genesis, like kind of came to mind when I was thinking about them putting themselves to work you know, meddling and being a busybody as opposed to the kind of work that we're really supposed to be about. And it's just um, always amazing how God, um, how Paul roots these instructions in a very strong gospel framework. Mm -hmm. Of course, it's like he's been telling them that, you know, um, the gospel, that they were transformed by the gospel. This is the church. They've been called out to... Um, you know, to salvation, but also to make God's name great. Mm -hmm. And it does kind of make, like, make you wonder like, okay, what now? What do I do now? And he's saying, you know, be about this work that the actual work of the gospel. Mm. And I think like when you start thinking about like what he actually 
saved us too is kind of amazing because like we were always meant to work and i mm. think we can feel 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 that when you know you go through periods maybe if you've ever yeah. um been in been in between jobs or have been um you know laid low by being sick like after a while you're like man it's just so demoralizing to not have anything to do mm -hmm. like we're clearly made for work and yet we know it's so frustrating mm. um because of the fall and yeah. yet you know, God dealt with sin in Christ's death and resurrection, but it has like real implications yeah. for every area of our life. And one of it is like how we spend our time. So um, anyway, we were talking earlier too about like uh, C.S. Lewis and the Chronicles of Narnia yeah. and uh, just finding this. I always think it's so interesting. Like when you read something like this and you think, is this what he was thinking when he wrote the ending of the Lion, the Winch of the Wardrobe? Because he literally said, you know, he has two kings and two queens govern Narnia well. Mm -hmm. And they had this long and happy reign and they made good laws and they kept the peace and they saved um, good trees from being unnecessarily cut down and generally stopped busybodies and interferers and encouraged ordinary people <laughs> who wanted to live and let live. Yeah. But that is like, yeah, we're meant to like reign mm -hmm. with God on this earth and to... um you know, to subdue it and bring it under dominion and or to have dominion over it and to bring things to order. And you just can kind of see like when people um do you know give themselves over to or believe false teachers, the disorderliness, the disunity, the um the division, all these things that are so anti gospel. And mm -hmm. you can see why God hates it so much mm -hmm. when he wants us all to be um you know, we're all united in Christ when mm -hmm. we have been um, believed in his death and resurrection uh, for salvation. We put our faith in him. And so there's this, there should be this unity among us, even in doing good, like working in yeah. the way that God has created us and doing the things that he's um, equipped us to do yeah. in the church and in the world and not going about all this like bringing disorder, mm -hmm. I guess, in the meddlesomeness. So. Absolutely. That's anyway, a, a lot of thoughts. It's a great word on doing good. I love it. I love Do good. It. Do good. <laughs> Dang it. Right. I don't know. How yeah. much more clear can we make Go on. it? No, Come on. I don't know. No, I love it. And then he moves into, uh, you know, basically this exhortation of uh, what to do to the person who kind of turns away from this. And this is where I think we might get a little caught up in the weeds. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think some clarification uh, would be good because so this is a refresher. Uh, Paul says in fourteen fifteen, basically the person who won't obey this and won't mm -hmm. like live by this, um, ha take note of him of that person. Have nothing to do with him that he may be ashamed. Mm -hmm. Do not regard him as an enemy, but warn warn him as a brother. And I think that's mm -hmm. really crucial. You know uh, what I what I really like think is an important connection. Paul also wrote Second Corinthians. And so same author in Second Corinthians, there's kind of this similar, you know, we hear shame and it's like, how could you ever like like cast shame on somebody? Because yeah. uh, we really only think about shame in this like one dimensional negative sense. Um, and we know that like the blood of Jesus removes our guilt and our shame. Mm -hmm. And uh, you know, that the effect of the fall was shame. Like Adam and Eve knew that they yeah. were naked and they were ashamed. Ashamed, yeah. And so 
Um, it, it can be really, really hard for us in the context that we're in to like connect any idea of shame to like a healthy, uh, godly kind of process or yeah. thing to do. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in Second Corinthians seven, Paul is kind of referencing in his first letter to the Corinthians. He addresses all this terrible stuff. They're, you know, allowing really gross sexual immorality. They're uh, oppressing the poor and showing favor to the rich. He addresses all of it really harshly. In 2 Corinthians, he refers back to that and says that when they heard that, mm-hmm. they they were ashamed, they were grieved. and But not with like a worldly grief, which produces death, but what they felt was a godly God, grief. And he says, and this is like, I mean, this passage like really set me free in a difficult season of life uh, in the past, but... Um, he says that godly grief produces salvation without regret. Mm. Um, so it's this type of shame that actually yields like joy yeah. and frees you from regret. Right. And that's not what we think of. Like when we think yeah. of shame, we think regret, you know, we think uh, like grossness and, yeah. and isolation. Yeah. And so like with that spirit, looking back into Second Thessalonians, you know, this person who is like will not do good yeah. and will not join in the mission of God, right. but is you know wasting their life yeah. and wasting their calling. Yeah, um, that the shame that we are called to like sort of uh, foster in the church is one that actually shows like the harm and darkness of sin uh-huh. and then makes you run to the light without regret, right. without being entangled in right. in these feelings of guilt that yeah. Jesus has died for. Yeah. And so I think that's important. And then that's where this, this combination, but d- do not regard him as an enemy. And when we think of shame, we think of it in this like enemy way often, yes. you know, but it's uh-huh. like, he's not your enemy. He's your brother. Like warn him as a brother. Yeah. So I don't no, know. Those really good that. thoughts. Um, no, I think the shame thing is something to really uh, think about or understanding. Because especially like in this day, I mean, most secular places be like all shame is bad. You know, mm-hmm. like uh, that's just something that we avoid and we affirm people in whatever they're doing because yeah. we don't want them in any way to feel ashamed. So it's like, what is this about? And I love that you referenced. Um, you know, again, Adam and Eve. Um, they were naked and ashamed. Mm-hmm. And they knew they were naked and ashamed. And but what did God do? He covered their shame, mm-hmm. um, and He gave them an an appropriate covering mm-hmm. for first of all the world that they would be living in. Fig mm-hmm. leaves weren't not going to do the job. Yeah. Um, it would need to be skin mm-hmm. um, of animals, and also that required a death, which mm-hmm. pointed to this ultimate covering that we would receive in the atonement yeah. of Christ. Right, yeah. like His sacrifice covers us but i think that's very informative for how we think about shame and how we want to um you know in this you think about these verses you you want them to feel ashamed but you also want them to you're immediately offering the appropriate covering absolutely like this is not a um you know i'm ripping off all your coverings mm-hmm. and clothes and I'm just leaving you out yeah. there to remain yeah, in your shame. You're so, not condemning. Yeah. Yeah. And I think this is actually when you think about busybodies and like they're probably about gossip and slander and a lot of the things, you know, that kind of come to mind when you think about that kind of mm-hmm. activity that he had been talking about. That actually is like 
you're snatching, you know, people make their own coverings, right? Like mm-hmm. the fig leaves. But like if you're gossiping about somebody and revealing their shame, like you basically are like snatching off their clothes and kind of reveling in their shame. I mean, yeah. that's like the nature of that or being yeah. involved in other people's business without actually helping. Yeah. You're really just bringing to light the problems. And so that in some ways they were kind of doing that. Yeah. And he's saying, no, you need to do it in God's way. Like, mm-hmm. yes, these people should be shamed, but we're going to do it different in that we're offering um, the covering of Christ's um, blood and they can be forgiven and then they can be restored. Mm. But like you want Absolutely. it to be painful enough to where they, they know, like we're not just affirming you and everything that you're doing, yep. but there's always this beautiful covering. Absolutely. Absolutely. And you know, there's like a good reminder in here. Um, one of the things that I just was thinking of is um, we also would benefit to have a good understanding of like that godly guilt, that godly mm-hmm, shame mm-hmm. idea, because really like one of the places we really see it in play is when we confess sin to one another, mm-hmm. like in accountability and, you know, with, with small groups of trusted people. One of the things that's really effective about that is, um, you know, you might feel guilty mm-hmm. for sin that you've done or mm-hmm. like the sense of personal shame, but like, you really taste the shamefulness of sin when you <laughs> when tell you other people. It. Yeah. And if yeah. it's a good accountability group, they're not going to like throw rocks at you. Right. Like the shame, you know, yeah. doesn't need any help. Like it, <laughs> yeah, it's exactly. there. Yeah, exactly. You've um, been uncovered. Yeah. yeah. And then, yeah. like you said, like we we as the priesthood of believers cover one another. We, we, we offer the proper covering, yes. which is Christ. And like then, not yeah, like a thousand percent. Oh man, I, you know, I get it. I, yeah. we all do the same yeah, thing. Like kind of like sweet. Yeah. yeah. No, you need to be like, yes, that's sin, but there's yeah. like a remedy. Yeah. So yeah. like, that's like that good shame that that's, it's yeah. not condemnation. It's not hopeless. It's actually, uh, very, very quickly without hesitation removed at the foot of the cross, Right. but you just have to go there, yeah. you know? And I do think like, as a footnote, we should say like, I mean, that is a big um, weapon of the enemy is shame. Yes. And so when you have um, confessed and you have um, been forgiven and, you know, you've repented, Mm. you've been forgiven, you're like you're in that place. I mean, one of the strategies of the enemy is to be constantly piling on um, this temptation towards shame because he obviously he knows he can't snatch you out of the hand of God um, and take away the forgiveness, but he can continually remind you in a way that obviously he does not offer mm-hmm. the covering. He loves to see you squirm. So he can, but he can cut you off from the hope that you have in Christ and cut you off from your joy that you have in Christ. Yep. So he cannot take away the, your reality, but it's like he can affect your, or tempt you to um, not believe, believe in that reality or experience yeah. that reality. So I do think it's, you know, this is, it's tricky. Like you got to make sure you're like, the godly shame should re- lead you to repentance. Mm. And then once you've repented and believed in faith, you know, for, that God is forgiving you, yeah. then you should go to work against the shame that comes after that yep. to preach the truth to yourself that you are forgiven. Mm. And that, like David said, you know, return the joy to me, the joy of my salvation. Yeah. Um, as opposed to, the kind of shame that we're, this is like more on the front end that should lead to repentance. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 
Absolutely. And then I think also just this highlights this whole section of, and thinking about church discipline, just remember there are positive aspects of church discipline, which is like discipleship. Mm-hmm. It's not always like um, kicking people yeah. out, you know, the, the extreme thing. But in all of it, you see the importance of gentleness. And again, which is the heart of the Savior, or your Savior, or Jesus. Like all of this would have to be done in such a, you know, in some ways, a very reassuring or like very clearly communicated um, the point of it, which is to offer mm-hmm. a covering and to reconcile you back into the body mm-hmm. um, and receiving forgiveness and all of that. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Man, well, I mean, that's a, a lot great, to think about right that's there. That's a lot to think about. <laughs> we got doing good, we got shame, yeah, uh, redemptive shame. That's a great future book by Jennifer McLish. (laughs) Um, But until then, uh, this podcast is all you got. So uh, we're going to wrap up 2 Thessalonians tomorrow uh, before moving on to 2 Peter. Uh, So for the great Jennifer McLish, this is Will Carlisle. We will see you tomorrow on our Daily Rhythm. Thanks for listening to Our Daily Rhythm. I'm Jason Dees, one of the pastors of Christ's Covenant, and Our Daily Rhythm is a ministry of our church designed to help you more faithfully and effectively meditate on God's Word. If you ever have a question for us about one of our Bible readings or one of your own Bible readings, please don't hesitate to text us at 404-465-1737. Again, that's 404 465 1737 or email me directly at jason at christcovenant.com. We'll meet you again tomorrow for our daily rhythm.